0: Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.
1: It's presented by mybookie.ag, and then if you use the promo code MATIC, M A T T E K, that you will get a 50% deposit bonus on your first deposit. And given that you are a listener to this podcast, I would assume you're relatively knowledgeable about sports, and I would trust you to try your edge on the online sports book. You can lay down some money and get in on the action at one of the safest online sports books in the world. It's the only one that I am currently using. You can wager on all sorts of different outcomes on mybookie.ag, soccer, football, any major league, esports. You can even create your own player props, which is useful for me because if you know anything about me, I do enjoy enjoy a good player prop so if you deposit using the promo code matic m-a-t-t-e-k you get a you get a fifty percent de- bonus when you deposit, and I will add this for listeners of the Tatecast. If you deposit using the promo code Matic and you send proof of it to me on Twitter, I will follow you on Twitter, and you can have access to me via DMs whenever you want. That's the that's the Tatecast bonus that I'm adding in association with the MyBookie.ag deposit bonus. Now let's get back to the show. Hello, everyone. I'd like to welcome you to the TateCast. My name is Davis Maddock. You can find me on Twitter at Davis Matic. This week's episode is with Dan Orlovsky, former quarterback for the Detroit Lions, Houston Texans, several other NFL teams. He's now an analyst on ESPN for both the NFL and college football. We had a really interesting conversation about quarterbacks and attitudes in the locker room and the kind of the future of football. I think it is uh, really good. Make sure to give him a follow on Twitter and we'll go ahead and get into the interview right now. Everyone, I would like to welcome Dan Orlovsky to the show. Dan, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great, buddy. How are you, man? I'm fantastic. Very excited to have you on the show. We've had a couple professional athletes on the show before, but uh, you are you're the first professional football player. Football is is obviously the best sport, so really excited to talk to you uh, about the game. Actually, before we get into it, why don't you why don't you kind of tell the listeners right now what's going on with you professionally?
0: Sure. Yeah. So I, I recently retired after 12 years playing quarterback in the NFL, and I've transitioned over to the media television analyst world. And I'll be working for ESPN moving forward, doing both college and NFL football.
1: Very, very exciting. Very excited to hear you on the broadcast, and we're going to go ahead and get into it now. Uh, the first thing I want to know is, you know, the upbringing and training of quarterbacks from a really young age is pretty generally fascinating to me because I think more so than in any other sport and in any other position. It's something that people have very strong opinions about, and it's also something that, you know, American kids are trained for that position from a really young age. And I'm very interested in what your quarterback training is like and how you would have changed that process and how you would coach quarterbacks now if you were given that job.
0: I was incredibly fortunate to have some really good... um, I guess if you want to qualify it as quarterback training... Um, I really just say I was I was coached really well on the very much so the fundamentals and basics of throwing the football, you know, from uh, not a throwing motion wise with my arm, but more the rhythm and balance and um, power generation and right. feet aspect playing the position. So really just controlling that part of it. I was coached at a pretty early age not in a um, a personal coach, personal quarterback coaching sense, but just as I was going through playing youth football, I was coached well in it. Um, I, I think that uh, that was a big part of laying a foundation for my ability to continue to rely on those things. Now, I was a very much so prototypical uh, pocket pastor if you want to qualify it as that I was not a runaround I was not a good enough athlete to to do much movement stuff yeah. with so my big thing was um, taking that stuff that I had learned early on in the fundamentals of it and really refining and refining and refining it and then trying to take that weakness of not being a great um, athletic presence where I was never going to run around fast or jump really high or be very quick and just trying to minimize that weakness. So doing a lot of things, um, when it relates to quarterbacking, whether it was quick pocket movements or the ability to escape, that was never going to be a strength, but try to just minimize it as a weakness and whatnot. So for me, it was really the refining of a lot of the fundamentals that we're going to carry over time. Um, how would I coach it nowadays? It would be certainly in that line, I think, and I can only kind of uh, talk from a outsider's view of what's going on with the quarterback position, especially in the youth world. Of course, I think that too many people. You see a lot of videos, and this is social media and whatnot. But you see a lot of videos of kids getting taught crazy things at the quarterback position. Oh, we see Aaron Rodgers do this, so let's teach kids do this or. You know, and and people have got all kinds of ways of I'm going to throw 27 tennis balls at you and you have to avoid them. And then um, I feel like we've tried to expedite the teaching process of the physical things that kids do. And it just concerns me that we're missing out on those years and years and years of the um, basic and fundamental repetition that that's truly going to carry them the long run because – Right now, it looks like so many of these coaches or teachers are trying to get kids to um, train to, to make the three incredible plays a game. Yeah. And not to be able to do the other 97 percent of the game fundamentally um, and uh, fundamentally and technically sound. And so that would be something that I would go, wait. I really want to refine the fundamentals of it because that's what's going to carry you over a long time. And then when you get a special athlete, then that's his his natural athleticism is going to allow him to do some of the special things that are uncoachable.
1: I think it's really interesting that the first thing you brought up about being trained as a quarterback was the throwing motion and about how to generate velocity. because. If you've ever watched an NFL draft show or anything, people just talk about arm talent like it was something that a player was born with. That, like you know, that that Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield were just born with the throwing motion that they have. And I, I don't know. I can't recall really ever in this last draft hearing about how a quarterback came to throw the way that they did. Do you think that's a giant misconception, or is that just a cone of ignorance that I am in?
0: Well. Um, I understand why people say it because we talk about a receiver and go, Oh my gosh, look at this guy run. Or we talk a defensive back and say, look at He's just got this ability to transition. And they, that's the the equivalent of arm talent. My concern with – everyone's got – a lot of people have arm talent. Like a lot of people – you go to a, a college football team, a lot of guys are going to be able to throw a ball pretty well. I mean – they grew up playing sports, whether it was a baseball or – ho- I mean, so a lot of people can have armed talent. Now, um, I think that certainly the natural ability to throw is something you're born with. I mean, you can watch – you can go to a little league baseball field or a youth football field and watch a five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old pick up a ball and go, yeah, that's pretty natural for them. And then you go watch other kids throw and you go, no, no, not, that's not for you. Um, so I think there is a natural born ability to, I was one of those kids that you, you know, early on, Oh yeah, he can throw. Um, I also think that there's things that you do throughout the process to, um, take it from a talent and then get it to a skill. And that's through the basics of, um, you know, strengthening your arm, strengthening your forearm, refining your process of throwing. Now, I do think there's a very fine balance between uh, becoming the finished product at 10 years old and becoming the finished product at 25 years old. And that's kind of in reference to what I was saying is it seems like everybody wants to get kids to be this perfect finished product at 10 rather than 25. And I think there's a beauty in um, the roughness of a throwing ability, the, the – um, uniqueness the organic part of it you know uh philip rivers comes to mind aaron Rodgers comes to mind and how you know i guarantee you he throws very differently than he did when he was 10 yeah and and so i i think there's a you know we're losing uh, again i'm speaking from an outsider's perspective but I, i get scared we're losing the um ability for kids to learn about themselves throwing the football okay Am I better throwing it over the top? Am I better throwing it three quarters? Do I have the ability to drop down? Um, You know, how do I generate power? Where's my accuracy coming from? And so guys kind of finding it out themselves through years and years of work, I think we're losing that because we're trying to make them perfect at such a young age.
1: Yeah, and I think part of the the foolhardiness of that is that football is just changing so rapidly right now. You know, the game is different now than it was five years ago. The play-calling ratio has shifted really in favor of the pass and the professional game, and the college game has gone even further. You know, a, a large chunk of the successful offenses are air-raid. You know, no one in the Big 12 plays defense. So my question for you is, how does this change quarterback evaluation uh, for an NFL team? You know, is it more about finding high value? variance prospects who could be great rather than sort of game managers or are the game managers actually matter more because the variance in quarterback talent is wider. And do you think the mental aspect is more or less important than arm talent now with the game that we watch?
0: Yeah. So I think that, um, I think people have always been enamored with the, okay, can this guy be great? That's why you get, Teams take flyers on quarterbacks early because of their physical skill set, because of the opportunity to go, can this guy, he's so physically talented, can, can we make him? You know, we saw it with Josh Allen coming out of the draft this year. Certainly some stuff with him actually playing the position that were concerning, but such a talent, you go, we've got to take a shot on him. And t- sometimes it works out for teams and sometimes it doesn't. Um, so I, I don't think that's ever going to change because. You just can't create six five two thirty absolute laser arm good athlete. You just can't create that. That's that's something that, um, you know, a lot of pieces of the have fallen into place. Um, the game being more spread out, I think that you still look for a lot of the same measurables and and check marks at the quarterback position. Can they throw with timing? Can they throw with accuracy? Can they throw with rhythm? Do they understand windows and um, the the ability to judge speed? That's never going to change. That's no matter what offenses are coming and going, because it's going to be cyclical at some point, the, the spread will be minimized and it'll go back down to, you know, we football is a cyclical game. I don't know how many years it'll take, but we'll go to, we'll go back to a little bit more refining and minimizing formations and whatnot. So it's, I do believe that'll be a part of it. Um, But you still look for the same stuff at the position. Just because it's a past happy uh, culture right now doesn't mean you, the ability to be accurate or throw with time and rhythm and, you know, operate, communicate, um, lead. Those things are still always have been and always will be prevalent at that position. Um, But I do think that teams now. You know, it used to be taboo in a way, I think, transitioning from the NFL or college to the NFL. It used to be taboo that, oh, he came from this system, uh, is he going to fit or transition? I think teams are a little bit more willing to go, okay, well, he did do some of that stuff well. He seems comfortable with it. Um, Maybe there's some stuff within those systems that we can carry over with us and have it be part of our foundation of our offense. And so that is allowing prospects to become more endearing and uh, desirable to teams. We haven't seen it in the NFL transition over time well. We haven't seen a team uh, take college concepts or spread concepts as a part of their offense and have it sustained success in the NFL. And so that will be one of the interesting things moving forward for me, watching... um, a guy like Baker Mayfield in Cleveland, and can they take some of the stuff from Oklahoma and have it be a part of their offense, not gimmicky, but a part of their offense. But I do think that um, how we evaluate the quarterback position is changing, but what we look for should never change because at the end of the day, those are the calling cards.
1: So just as a as a one off if if you were, you know, in a conversation with the offensive coordinator for for Cleveland and you did want to help him implement some concepts that Baker would be comfortable with, how would you go about doing that? Like what is a specific thing that you would do with the talent they have on their offense to kind of give Baker the concepts that he knows how to throw?
0: Yeah, so I'd have to go back and go to Oklahoma's offense and go, "Okay, what are some of the things they're doing scheme-wise that Baker seemed to be very comfortable with. You get, I get weary of going, okay, let's fit this scheme around Baker, because if you do that, and say it doesn't work out for Baker, everyone else on your team has to follow suit, you know? So um, I'd have to go back and look and say, okay, he did these three or four things really well. Do these three or four things, do they have the opportunity to transition to the NFL, whether it's a scheme thing that's going to Uh, go against and be successful against all the different defenses that you face in the NFL coverage-wise? How does it hold up against the unique pressures that are going to come in the NFL? How does it hold up against man-to-man? Because in the NFL you get more man-to-man because there's better players. How does it hold up against certain blitz packages? Can we manipulate the defense the way we want to? Can we? So those would be the things. That's what I'm saying you don't want it to be gimmicky where it's a two play thing and, Oh, cool. It worked big plays, but it's not going to work again. You know, you want it to be, you know, in the, in the, in the West coast offense, it's, you know, throwing with spacing, you know, so those things, can they stand the test of time against multiple coverages and defensive looks? And so that's what I would have to find is, is there stuff that we can, you know, bring over and be a part of our offense um, they certainly have talent much more so in Cleveland than they have in the past couple of years. I would utilize, I'm a big guy utilizing a tight end that can do both blocking and passing. So the Njoku's of the world, mm-hmm. understanding he's much more of a receiving threat than a, a blocking threat, but I would utilize him the way that the Patriots for years have done with Gronk or the Eagles with Ertz or the Chiefs with Kelsey and gathering information for Baker before the snap, whether it's a man or zone situation by who walks out on Njoku um but I wouldn't try to recreate the wheel for him. I would would try to get some stuff that he's comfortable with uh and seeing if it's going to transition for us over time.
1: Yeah, I think all of that is uh I think all of that should be very applicable for applicable for them if they're listening. Uh, something that I have come to believe after talking to you know both high level professional athletes and analysts of the game is that you know success of a player really comes down to being put in position to succeed by the coaching staff. I had uh Brandon McCarthy who's a pitcher for the Braves on the podcast about three weeks ago, and he told me a story of you know how the 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 data guys put together basically a binder of information for him kind of on. Pitch types and what he was doing well and what he was doing poorly. And they had this one really clear suggestion for him that was basically just like, hey, if you do this more often, you're going to get more positive outcomes. And it worked. And so, my question for you is you know, as a player, how do you want that analytical information that really could help you perform better to be communicated to you? Because it's, it's my sense that in the NFL, if, if a player got handed a binder, they probably might not even look at it. They might not read it the whole way through. So, you know, as, as an NFL analytics staff, how do you get that information to the players?
0: Yeah, I think that there's, there might be a little bit of misconception when it comes to analytics um, of the NFL. I think that, you know, I can only speak from experience. We had analytics in 2005. It was just – it was called scouting, you know, and now it's much more in-depth and refined nowadays. Um, But analytics have been a part of it for a long, long time. I think as a player, um, you know, football is a very reactionary thing, and so the analytics, um, you know, I – there's, there's some coaches that are going to like it a little bit more, and there's some players who are going to like it a little bit more and vice versa, a little bit less. I'd say as a player, the more that you can give a guy uh, information that he believes is relevant to his performance or his preparation, that's, that's the key. So as a quarterback, I want you to tell me, hey, if I'm in um, 11 personnel on first and second down, which is three receivers and one tight end, if I'm an 11 personnel on first and second down, what's their blitz percentage? And that's an analytics for me because that's when I know, you know, you're a little bit more – if they're blitz 70% on first and second down and 11 personnel, well, your antennas are up a little bit more. Uh, they blitz 10%, okay, you're a little bit more reserved. Or when I get down into the red zone, what's, uh, what do the analytics tell me about their all-out zero blitz percentages? Versus um, certain personnels or overall, because then I have to have a plan for that stuff. If I'm going to go to a team and say, "Hey, they they all out zero blitz you zero times in the red zone," well, I don't need to have a zero answer certainly on the ready ready part of my brain, you know. So I think that is the stuff that is tangible. Um, and then it goes deeper. How you know if I'm if I'm the um, if I'm the the Kansas City Chiefs and I'm playing the San Diego or the, the Los Angeles Chargers and you can give me analytics to say, hey, Casey Hayward, um, 85% of the time on first down, he plays um, soft coverage, so you can get a eight-yard completion on him on a free-access type of throw 85% of the time. Well, then on first down, I'm looking his way a lot. you know. So I think those analytics um, can come into play, for certainly at the quarterback position, a lot to allow his brain to – kind of go through those processes um, faster and have a more finite plan of how to attack defenses and to be prepared for them.
1: So I kind of have a, a specific question about that, but kind of in the reverse, where the team notes something that you do that's not real inefficient. Like, uh, what, what was your favorite formation to, to pass out of? What was your most comfortable personnel grouping that you liked?
0: Yeah, I mean, I like just to be in a... Uh, Two by two, eleven personnel, so wide receiver tight end to my right or left and and slot two receivers to the other side
1: so so let's say uh you know one of the the teams you played for, let's say the Texans say we we really want you to run twelve personnel. we really want you to have two tight ends out there. With you, um, because you know when you have the slot wide receiver out there, you're just not quite as efficient. Is that a conversation you know that you'd be having you know with in you know is that the head coach conversation? Is that a quarterback's coach? How would how would they disseminate that information to you in a way that, that you know could get you on board?
0: Yeah, I think it's a, It depends on who your head coach is, you know, as well. You know, like sure, if it's a, it's a, if it's a Andy Reid yeah, let's have that talk because that dude knows offensive ball. If it's a uh, really a dominant defensive head coach, you'd be going, okay, well, how much are you really understanding what's going on? And it's really a conversation piece. That's why, you know, those rooms are so important. And I think as players, you would want to know, yeah, yeah, okay, that's interesting to me. Why am I not as efficient or successful as I want to be in 11, but I am in 12? Maybe it's the information. Maybe it's the defenses and how they per- play against us. Maybe it's the – maybe our our second tight end is better than our third receiver. And so I would absolutely want to know that information because if, if the numbers are telling me I'm playing better in a certain grouping or situation than than another, then I for sure want to know that information and have a, um, be able to utilize it to an advantage of mine. So um, it's a conversation that probably is easier had um, when it's a very healthy room, quarterback, coach, and offensive coordinator wise. And the guys had some success rather than, you know, I can't imagine um, a, a guy who's struggling going in and going, well, you know, because then you start getting almost in attack mode. I would feel a defense mode. So, but that's it, that that that's information analytics that are important, no doubt.
1: I think that's something that the modern fan does kind of miss, but really that quarterback coaching staff relationship to me, from an outsider perspective, does seem to be really important to team success, and that's probably something that you could could speak to a little bit more in depth. But I do think that that is one of the biggest things that people miss when analyzing football, just because the quarterback and the coaches have their hands on everything that happens on offense, and it doesn't matter if everyone else on the team is on the same page, if those can can't get along
0: oh sure you've seen you see teams kind of get derailed by the lack of relationship within that grouping so it's of paramount importance I've been a part of good ones I've been a part of bad ones I've been a part of great ones and they have profound impact on the way the guy goes and plays on Sundays
1: yeah, so uh you recently have actually been uh commentating on the Flag Football League, and that kind of got me thinking on a couple things. The first is that, you know, I really could see this league generating a real following if a couple kind of high-profile guys played in the offseason because of all the concerns about injuries and concussions in the NFL, and then also... I really wondered, you know, what is the sentiment in locker rooms about, you know, all the rule changes, the quarterback protection, the concussion problems? Kind of like as the NFL has shifted away from hard hitting, from, you know, late hits, things like that. What is the attitude about these these, you know, changes been in the NFL locker rooms?
0: Uh, I'll answer the second question first. I think the attitude is it is what it is. Yeah, um, the NFL is king, and it always will be. The NFL is an incredible, incredible league to be a part of. Um, nowhere else are you going to find uh, a different opportunity to go make a living and play and and um, be a part of that incredible experience other than the NFL. And as as annoying or difficult or maybe quote unquote unfair as some of the stuff may be, it is what it is. Um, and you know, football isn't a adapt or die type thing. And I think they're doing a good job of adapting, especially, you know, the big thing is to get parents to believe in the game and the, the, um, the joy of the game and still having it be safe enough for their children to play. And so I think guys realize that they, they also are more educated upon it now than they were 15 years ago. And so, I think guys are looking at it from a big picture view more often than not and going, okay, uh, I really want to play this game. I love playing it. Obviously, it's a, it's a privilege to play in, and there's a lot of money tied to it. If that's what it takes me, to, to if, if changing the game a little bit or making it less, whatever you want to call it, um, violent, let's say, yeah. in certain situations is going to allow me to continue to do that, and then my buddies to continue to do that, and then my kids maybe to continue to do it, then I think more often than not, guys are like, okay, let's we'll, we'll continue to move forward with it. Um, in relation to the flag, I do think that it's going to generate a falling. I do think that there's a really cool place for a lot of guys that, you know, the NFL is is 1,500 guys out of 7 billion, and so it's a very finite number, and that doesn't mean that there's other there's not other people out there that aren't good at the sport, and there, this is a place for them that... The guys that may not be big enough for tackle football, this is a place for them. Um, and so I think there's, there's a trend move forward. I'm, I'm a believer that we don't need to be having tackle football at five, six, seven, eight, nine years old. So, uh, I think that that is one of those adapt things that we can be willing to move on from. And this flag is, um, not only going to give kids. Something to look forward to, but something to learn from, and uh, in, in kind of model after.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I definitely think that it's interesting, and I can definitely see uh you know kind of I can definitely see it being something that the NFL really promotes in the off because it's uh it's just fun. But uh, before we get out of here, you know, a giant talking point from pretty much every pun at this off has been the reemergence of the run pass option, the RPO. So my, my parting question to you is, you know, what is a trend in play calling, formation, offensive performance that you really see emerging in 2018? Uh, and explain to the listeners how it may work or what teams you might see implementing it.
0: Yeah, I think it goes back to what I talked about previously with the Browns. I think teams are finally catching on to um, the importance, not the advantage uh, but the importance of having that tight end that can do both things and utilizing him to gain information before the snap. So taking Gronk that the Patriots have done for almost a decade now and moving him in different places and gathering man zoner information for your quarterback, because it's really what Peyton Manning used to do back in the day with Dallas Clark. And that's why they used to get into such favorable plays And I think you're seeing more and more teams. The Chargers used to do it with Gates a little bit, but teams are doing it more as the basis of their offense. And I think we're going to see more teams do it rather than just a a caveat. So we're going to see more guys like Kelsey and more guys like Ertz and more guys like Gronk. And we saw it in the draft with, like, the Eagles taking a Dallas Goddard or, um, you know, Trey Burton in Chicago. I think we're going to see more teams transitioning to having that specific guy that that really um, gathers so much information, and then the the trade off is going to be how teams defensively are, because the reality was, you know, teams didn't want to put corners on tight ends in man and man situations because then it meant maybe a linebacker on a receiver or something. So it's going to be unique to see or interesting to see how teams transition to trying not to give away that information so much utilizing different personnel defensively.
1: Yeah, I mean that just from a schematic defensive perspective, you you don't want your nickel corner to be on the tight end and and something I've kind of noticed over the last 2 years is nickel has really become the base defense for a lot of teams. So so having, you know, move tight ends out there seems to be the biggest advantage that an offense can create right now.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and it's it's really it's it's obviously an advantage. You think it depends on the, who the guy is. It's not an advantage if your tight end stinks and yeah. can't run, you know, catch the ball. It's really for me an information thing because, and I've used Chicago as an example this year so often. So you're going to take Trey Burton, you're going to get three things. If you flex him out as a receiver and a linebacker safety goes out there, then your quarterback Trubisky is going to know. Okay, it's man to man. So then he goes, if I'm in a pass game concept, do I like my matchup with Trubisky in man-to-man or do I like my matchup with Robinson in man-to-man or Gabriel in man-to-man? And so then you're you're almost predetermining who your quarterback can throw the ball to and giving him uh, a very confident read. Well, let's say a team plays zone out there. Well, they put a corner out there. Then your quarterback goes, okay, well, what kind of zone is it? Is it a a seven-man box zone or a middle field close zone? Or is it you know, our middle field open zone? Or is it an eight-man box zone type thing? So then it goes, you get into get favorable run situations as well because you could be running to a numbers advantage. So all that information, that's what it's going to allow you to get into uh, not 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 good plays, but the best plays very much so.
1: Yeah, there we go. So what you're telling me is that I should be drafting Trey Burton in fantasy probably?
0: <laughs> I, I, I I love what he's going to do for their team
1: there we go uh why don't we uh why don't we tell folks where they can find you and then we can get out of here
0: yeah so i'm i'm do a lot of stuff on social media obviously uh my twitter is at dan orlovsky the number seven i'm on there and then moving forward i'm going to be working for espn uh, doing both college and, and nfl um, analyst stuff so i'm looking forward to that
1: There we go, everyone. That was the great Dan Orlovsky. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll be back soon.